What are you up to? I was just finishing my research for Gloria Ramirez. Oh, that's the toxic lady. Yeah, I had a girlfriend in college like that. <laughs> just one? Uh, maybe maybe more than <laughs> maybe more, more than, than a couple. <laughs> yeah. I seem to remember quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> that, might, that might be closer to the truth, yeah. Um anyway, Gloria Ramirez. Uh on February nineteenth, nineteen ninety four, Gloria Ramirez was rushed to the hospital suffering from heart palpitations and that's pretty much where our story starts for today this is country Country roads Roads creeps Creeps. (laughs) we really did it at the same time that time that's pretty good that's uh i think we're getting a little bit better at that yeah usually it takes Um, us about 40 tries yeah (laughs) (laughs) typically yeah yeah usually i mean we just spent how long doing the trying to make a new trailer for the show? Genuinely about two hours. Yeah. It's and then we make coffee. We got good coffee. I got a shroot shroot farms mug. That's good. <laughs> and you got a, a purple. Got Grimace. Yeah. Happy birthday, Grimace. I had the Grimace shake the other day. Did you? Is it any good? It really just tasted like vanilla. It- <laughs> That's pretty lame, honestly. I, I think, didn't expect. I genuinely think it's a vanilla shake with a little bit of purple dye in it. I've been I've been seeing all the memes where people are like, happy birthday, Grimace, and then they fall over dead and they like spill the milkshake everywhere. Okay, that like, might be a good topic for a future episode. The how, conspiracy behind the Grimace shake. Like the cosmic horror of all the McDonald's characters. <laughs> write that down. Write that down. <laughs> I, I don't have my notes open. I, I have my notes for the episode. and. <laughs> You're going to have to pull it up on yours. Okay, um, I'll make a note. <laughs> I do want to say, I, so we don't have any, it's our first episode, so we don't have any sponsors yet. But what I do want to put a shout out for is this episode and the entire podcast really is like literally brought to you entirely by Sweetwater. <laughs> they don't know it, but they are completely like They're, backing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, they. Sweetwater has no idea. Ty, Tyler, my sales engineer, has no clue. <laughs> But they are 100% supporting the the entire podcast. Yeah, so all the gear on this table right the, now is from Sweetwater. And I've been I've been ordering them from them for like I don't know how long year, years years and years yeah. ever like the when did I start college? So ten years ago, eight years yeah. ago, nine years ago. Since then, yeah. at least at least since then, and so like the audio interface we're using, I've since got one or two extras. And so the one we're using came from them. That was my first ever one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then these, the stands that I have, like I've been using these for forever. These microphones are new. My girlfriend bought me those. Shout out to Shane's girlfriend. Shout Thank out, you. Shout out girlfriend. <laughs> Hannah's mom. No. No. <laughs> no. Stop. <laughs> not my mom. <laughs> shout out Jay Spice. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, it's, it's Sweetwater is good. And they have literally the best customer service. Like you, you can't escape. Yeah. Them. Well, they send you candy in every box. Why would you want to shop anywhere else? They did. I, I opened this box today. The one I brought your stuff in and I, I left the candy at home. So I didn't want to share. I feel like so, I definitely have part ownership in that candy. You, I'll bring you some maybe okay. if it, if it lasts long <laughs> enough, I might. Okay. But anyway, so we should probably get into the episode. Yeah. Moving on. Um, so so Gloria, Gloria Ramirez, yeah, the toxic lady. Um, is uh, so she, this takes place in Riverside, California. 
Um, I don't know if you know anything about that area of California, but it's next to a river. Okay. I don't know anything about that area of California. It's it's called Riverside. (laughs) All right. I don't actually know about the geographics of that. That was that was a bit. Okay. (laughs) Boom. I I hope that landed with at least like one person that (laughs) that listens to the podcast. I hope that lands. But um, no. So so her full name is Gloria Cecilia Ramirez. Uh, She was born January eleventh, nineteen sixty three, and so we're starting off. On uh, February 19th, 1994, she was rushed to the hospital having heart palpitations. And uh, so part of the backstory on her was, and actually, if you look her name up, the the immediate listing on Google just says housewife, which oh. I don't know that that's really how you want to be like remembered. <laughs> like yeah. you, you have your own listing on Wikipedia and, and on Google, it just says you're a housewife. Right, but because there's like a lot more to her. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, she just raised kids and cooked and cleaned. But whatever. (laughs) Um, so she had she did have two kids. Um, and they're not really discussed very much in any of these stories. But it's I mean it's worth mentioning. Like this is this is somebody that was a mother to at least two people. Mm -hmm. Um, and was a wife and you know had a mom and dad and had probably brothers and sisters and all this stuff. So they're like without, without sounding like cruel throughout the episode. I mean, we're going to be talking about some not necessarily graphic stuff, but it's medical stuff and some stuff that might have been going on uh, with her and in her life. And so we like, obviously no disrespect to like her or her legacy or, you know, the family or whatever. But so just, putting that out there, like be mindful that this was, this was a real person who had a, a real family, whole but life. yeah. So it's, it's actually kind of like the story goes, goes into some pretty depressing things. <laughs> like when you actually start digging into how she became known as a toxic lady, it gets into some pretty like, man, that's super creepy. First of all, a little bit scary, but also like, kind of like, man, that, it's rough. It's a little yeah. bit of a rough story. Like I I knew the I knew the like the overview of it. But I, when I dug into detail, I was like, "Man, this is a doozy at some parts." But yeah. anyway, so she got rushed to the hospital uh, having heart palpitations. Um about 6 weeks before this event, she was diagnosed with stage 4 cervical cancer. Dang. Um and they they found it like right then is when she was diagnosed. So like there wasn't, it wasn't like you have risk factors for this. It wasn't like, Hey, you have a developing cancer. And now all of a sudden it's no, she found out and it was stage four. So she's like, you know, right at the tail end of when cancer kind of starts to spread through everything. Um, so that's sad in and of itself. But what we find out later is, so she, she's going for these heart palpitations, which is part of the problems with uh, whenever you have cancer and you start to get uh, like organ failure in certain places. And she was suffering from uh, kidney failure. And so that was causing part of the heart palpitations. Um, Anyway, so how she became known as the toxic lady or the toxic woman in the media um, was that a bunch of hospital workers became ill um, and they were, 
admitted to the emergency departments uh, in like various hospitals. I don't know that they would want to be readmitted to the own ho- their own hospital that they Where worked at that sick. they they just almost died in. But right. um, so they the, a bunch of workers became ill after they were exposed to her and her blood and stuff. Um, but Gloria was admitted to the emergency department while suffering from that late stage cervical cancer. And while they were treating her, um, a few of the hospital workers fainted and some of the other ones experienced some symptoms like shortness of breath and muscle spasms. Um, at least five workers, uh, required hospitalization. And one of them actually remained in the intensive care unit for two weeks. So, um, and we'll get into a little bit about that particular one here in a little bit. Um, so anyway, uh, shortly after arriving at the hospital, uh, she died due to the complications from the cancer. Um, and it was initially considered to be a case of mass hysteria. So we'll get into that because <laughs> that, that was one of the most shocking revelations of this whole case. Right. Um, and it was, you know, you're reading through it and you're like, ha, all of the evidence and they right, came like to the ICU. Yeah. And they're they, saying it's hysteria. They came to that conclusion. So interesting. Um, <laughs> we'll get into it. And then, so later on, it was, it was investigated by the Lawrence Livermore uh, National Laboratory um, and found out that she was administering some uh, alternative care uh, for her cancer and some of the pain that she was having. So, um, anyway, um, so let's get into it. Let's dive deep into this whole this whole case. I'm ready. Um, so we'll start with her emergency department visit initially. Um, so it's 8.15 p.m. on the evening of February 19th, 94. Um, she is suffering from severe heart palpitations, which is kind of a thing that I'm scared of because I don't know what that feels like. And I feel like if I ever feel that... <laughs> then I'm just going to immediately feel like I'm dying. Um, I, that uh, did happen to me the very first time I had like a panic attack or whatever. I'd never had one before. So I didn't know what that was. My heart was beating so fast and I went to the emergency room cause I thought I was dying. And they were like, nah, you're okay. No, you're just nervous and nelly. Yeah. But yeah. it just came out of nowhere. I was in college. So probably just all the subconscious stress of that time period. So I went to the ER and drugs mom came down and got me and I was yeah. fine. So it was a whole ordeal for nothing, but you'll know if you have heart palpitations, feels like you're having a heart attack. Kind I of. hope not. <laughs> I, I really hope I don't know. Yeah. Um, I hope that you don't experience that, yeah. but um, know. <laughs> so anyway, she's, she gets brought into the emergency department of Riverside general hospital in guess where Riverside, California. <laughs> Um, paramedics drove her there. Um, so she was really confused and she's suffering from, uh, tachycardia and Keen Stokes respiration. Now this is the part where I need to mention that I'm like, I don't know anything about medical stuff. So when my sister listens to this, she's a PA and she's (laughs) going to be texting me when she hears this. I mean, like you totally mispronounced all of these words. You probably should have ran this by her first before we sat down to do this. (laughs) Absolutely not. We're going, we're going by my, my bare bones recollection of the English language on all of these pronunciations. Perfect. (laughs) Um, so Keen Stokes respiration is, uh, an oscillating breathing pattern with crescendo and diminuendo. Uh, so basically you, are getting deeper breaths and then shallower breaths. And it's also speeding up and then slowing down. 
Um, and so that can go on from uh, 30 seconds to two minutes and it eventually comes to a stop and then it restarts. Um, it's a, it's associated with heart failure, kidney failure, narcotics, overdose, uh, intracranial pressure and hypoperfusion, uh, AKA you don't, you don't have enough blood in you. Um, or, or rather you're not, you're not getting enough blood to your, uh, heart and lungs and brain and stuff. Uh, at least that's my reading of it. My, my scan of the Wikipedia article on, on hypoperfusion. I have like eight tabs open on like every link from like, you know, what does any of this mean? Anyway, um, the medical staff injected her with diazepam, medazolam, lorazepam, uh, to sedate her. The, if if Shane said any of that wrong, I, no, he didn't. We're going to move past that. <laughs> I'm correct. I want you to know. I, I, Just pretend. This is, I've I know what diazepam is. I've heard that word. Lorazepam. I've heard that word. Never heard of medazolam. <laughs> but that's definitely what it looks like. It says. Um, but so they, they injected her with these three drugs to sedate her, um, and so it eventually became clear that she wasn't responding very well to the treatment. And the the staff had to defibrillate her heart. So it's at that point that several people, uh, a lot of the nurses and stuff, saw an oily sheen covering her body after they they had to like remove her shirt and everything to defibrillate her. And so they noticed that there was this oily sheen that was covering her. And they noticed a fruity garlic-like odor that they thought was coming from her mouth. And the registered nurse, Susan Kane, drew blood from Ramirez's arm and noticed an ammonia-like smell coming from the tube. That's weird. So, yeah, it is weird. So, I don't, I definitely don't want somebody to draw my blood and... Smell ammonia? Like, yeah. I, I'm fine if yeah. they smell garlic, because like, I, just, I just came from Olive Garden. <laughs> I really, my heart palpitations are caused by the bottomless breadsticks. This episode the brought to you... pounds of breadsticks I yeah, just ate. The, I, I sit down. All I want is the breadsticks. You can. <laughs> I don't we, need a meal. Just keep those breadsticks coming. Can we bring you an entree? No. No more uh, breadsticks. More breadsticks. <laughs> you, it's bottomless soup too. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I want. I want the bread. <laughs> um. Anyway, so uh, Susan Kane, who drew the blood, she passed uh, the blood vial to uh, Julie Korchinski, who was a, a medical resident, and she noticed a Manila uh, colored particles floating in the blood. So I don't know if you know anything about blood, but you're not supposed to have like, <laughs> like crystalline structures floating in there. Yeah, that's, that's not good. It's not supposed to happen. Um, so, uh, at that point, Susan Kane fainted and was removed from the emergency room. Like from fear or from fainted, something that made fa- her sick, something that made her sick. We'll, okay. we'll get into it, but right. she, she faints. They yeah. Take her out. So she's the first one to faint. Um, so, uh, oh man, I totally lost my place. Uh, yeah. So after uh, Susan Kane fainted, uh, Gorchinsky started to feel nauseated. Um, and she complained that she was lightheaded and she left the trauma room and sat at the nurse's desk. Um, so the staff member came by and asked if she was okay. And before she could respond, she also fainted. So now we're up to, we're two for two on, on feigning women. Um, so the, there's another lady, uh, Maureen Welch, who is a respiratory therapist. 
who was assisting in the trauma room, and she was the third to pass out, and the staff was then ordered to evacuate all of the emergency department patients to the parking lot uh, outside of the hospital, and overall, 23 people became ill and five were hospitalized, like I said. And I, it was Gorchinsky that actually, I believe, had to stay the like two weeks in, in ICU. How many did you say became ill? Uh, 23 total became ill and five of them had to stay in the hospital. Yeah. So I, I also, uh, like I said, I I imagine it was a different hospital. Right. (laughs) Like if they were like, yeah, we're going to admit you to the emergency room that you just got, like you just fell ill and fainted. Well, maybe they didn't know the connection yet that they were, that's what was making them sick. So maybe they were in the same hospital. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I I couldn't find that anywhere. Right. And I was kind of confused. I was like, so they just drive them across town to like a different place. But anyway, um, so they kind of just left like the bare bones that they needed to to take care of Ramirez um, and perform CPR and defibrillate her in the time being. They basically just had a skeleton crew stay behind in the hospital. Um, So at uh, 8.50 p.m., and this was like 45 minutes after the CPR and defibrillation and stuff. Uh, she was pronounced dead from kidney failure relating to her cancer. So this is all of this takes place in, you know, the 45 minutes of time. This is, it's pretty quick from the time that she goes in, all of these people faint and fall ill mm-hmm. and they evacuate everyone and then she dies. So pretty quick timeline of events, but there's a lot of information that actually comes out of this. That's pretty interesting. Talk because I got a drink. <laughs> Shane needs a coffee break. <laughs> I'm dying of of coffee. You're thirst. crushing it. Do you want water? I have water. I've <laughs> best hydration is key. Best bud got me a glass of water and a coffee in a in a Dwight Schrute Farms Dwight, mug. A Dwight Schrute Farms. <laughs> um, my mom bought me that cup from Cracker Barrel. Shout out Jay Spice again. She's the best. This is going to make the loudest noise on the mic. I'm going to have to edit that out. <laughs> um, anyway, so they go into their investigation. The county health department called in California's Department of Health and Human Services, um, and they put two scientists on the case, like a real Sherlock Holmes and <laughs> what's his name? Watson. Watson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As I was trying to figure out that. I was, um, so... Uh, Dr. Anna Maria Osorio and Kirsten Waller. Um, So they interviewed 34 hospital staff who had been working in the emergency room department on February 19th. And they used just a standard questionnaire, ask everybody the same questions and find out what's going on. Um, Osorio and Waller found that the people who had developed severe symptoms, such as loss of consciousness, shortness of breath, muscle spasms, they tended to have two things in common. So get ready for this. This is, okay. this is a real doozy. Um, the people who worked within uh, two feet of Ramirez and had handled her intravenous lines had been at high risk. But the other factors that correlated with severe symptoms did not appear to match a scenario which fumes had been released. Uh, the survey found that those afflicted tend to be women rather than men and they all had normal blood tests after the exposure. So these two doctors, real bright minds they are, <laughs> they believe the hospital workers suffered from mass hysteria. Come on. That was their thing. Because Boo, are 
are you joking? You know, women women be fainting all the time. Oh my god. Crazy. Gosh. They don't can't handle the heat. Right. So That's so annoying. Hey, if you can't handle the garlic and ammonia smell, get out of the emergency room. <laughs> you just you don't got what it takes. Um so so Gorchinsky, naturally, she's the one that was kind of the most severely affected. Um, she denied that she had been affected by mass hysteria, naturally, because that's not clearly not what it is. Right. <laughs> we'll get into why. Um, and she pointed to her own medical history as evidence. Um, after the exposure, she spent two weeks in the intensive care unit with breathing problems. Uh, she developed hepatitis and avascular necrosis in her knees. Uh, do you want to go ahead and take a guess what avascular necrosis is? Um, something bad happened to her veins. Close. Uh, avascular necrosis um, is uh, it, it, AVN is called also called osteonecrosis or bone infarction. Something bad happened to her bones. Yeah, bone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he got bad bone disease. Bad bone disease. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's the death of bone tissue due oh. to the interruption of the blood supply. Oh, that's not ideal. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> early on with, uh, this avascular necrosis, uh, AKA bad bone disease, uh, early on, there may be no symptoms. Uh, you might have gradual joint pain and it may, uh, limit the, your ability to move. Oh, and perfect. so complications. Thing to be of. Yeah. It's like <laughs> no symptoms at first except your joints hurt. I'm, oh, yeah. great. I have that. Perfect. Yeah, I'm worried <laughs> that like I'm gonna wake up one day and be like, Am I 30? <laughs> or do I have dead bones? <laughs> Bad bone disease. Do, do I, are my bones dying? Scary. <laughs> or am I just old? Um You got a few more years to go. <laughs> I, I hope so. Um <laughs> uh, so the complications can include uh do include the collapse of the bone or a nearby joint surface. So basically you're, you're it's decaying bone tissue. So your bones are going to be more brittle. And if it's in the joints, like your knees, then you could have a collapsing of where the, the joint is mm -hmm. and they can come out of socket. They can dislocate and all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of crazy that all of this can happen because of, this one thing, like Gloria Ramirez shows up to the emergency room and all of a sudden your bones are dying. Yeah, that's awful, actually. Like, And then, and you know what's even the worst part about it is that when you become a skeleton and somebody tries to play the xylophone on your ribs, it doesn't sound as good. Stop. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my gosh. That makes me think of that, you know, the Disney short where the skeletons are dancing and they're, they yeah. are playing music on their ribs. <laughs> they play their own ribs, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, so um, there's there's risk factors for this. So th there are, there are reasons that you might get uh, dead bones, um, and it, so if you fracture your bones quite a bit, um, then you you might develop this at some point. Um, your uh, joint dislocations, uh, so that can cause it. If anything wrong happens with the blood supply to your your joints or anything in your bones, that could happen. Um, if you are an alcoholic. Or if you use high-dose steroids, so like Ronnie Coleman. I don't he's, know who that is. He's nine-time Mr. Olympia. Oh. <laughs> so, My bad. Sorry, a bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah, you better apologize to Ronnie Coleman. Sorry. He's in a wheelchair now. <laughs> oh. It's a very sad From story what happened to him. Um, He 
regularly squatted 800 pounds. Oh my gosh. So I'm going to, I'm going to bet that it both has something to do with his massive steroid use in, in his words, quote, just the basic stuff. Right. And also the fact that he was lifting insane amounts of weight yeah. and broke lots of stuff and really, really stressed out his joints and stuff. That's sad. So it's very sad. Poor anyway, guy. back to all these other people that have messed up uh, medical problems. Um, so this condition can occur without any kind of clear reason also. So that's equally scary that awesome. there's reasons it could happen, Love but also that. you might just get it one day. It's Love like that. a common cold. Oh, no. um, uh, so the most commonly affected bone is the femur. Uh, and other relatively common sites include the upper arm bone, uh, knee, shoulders, and ankles. Uh, diagnosis is typically by medical imaging, imaging such as x-rays, CT scans, or MRIs. So um, it's it's a very scary disease nonetheless. And it's so that's uh, it's no good for no anybody. Good. But so she had it. Um, and basically for treatment, uh, you can you can use medication. Um, they'll have you maybe not walk or walk on those legs or um, use those joints as much. Um, they'll have you stretch and then you might have to do surgery. So um, most of the time, surgery is eventually required, though, and might include cord decompression, osteotomy, bone grafts, or joint replacement. So you got to replace your joints or get new bones put in your old bones. Um, so that's interesting. Uh, I, yeah. I do not want to look at any any of the medical <laughs> imaging on that like no yeah. i don't want to see any kind of medical textbooks on how to do a bone graft no i don't want to see somebody putting like a dead guy's bones in a in a living guy's bones that's i don't want to see Speaking that of that real quick i saw a video like a tiktok or something yesterday of this person who went to the dentist and they were talking about how they had to get like cadaver teeth or bones in their mouth because their teeth were so bad and so they were talking yeah. about having a ghost mouth a ghost mouth. <laughs> yeah. They had My chompers are haunted. I didn't even know that was an option. Yeah. Which makes sense. I guess it's like organ donation, but teeth and yeah. mouth bone donation. I've, I've heard about um, doing the cadaver bone, like like cadaver spines and stuff. When people have to get vertebrae replaced, they'll mm -hmm. get uh, cadaver bones put in. Yeah. Um, it so definitely you gotta, makes sense. I yeah. had just never thought about people doing that with teeth. Yeah, I mean, people, like, dead people donate their organs and stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, you, don't, you sure. just don't really think about it for, like, bones or anything. Yeah. I want to donate, like, like one quarter of my brain. The <laughs> the quarter of my brain that's dedicated to memes. Oh, and my And eventually somebody will get my sense of humor implanted into their brain. I hope the technology for that happens one day. I don't know what to say to that. They'll, just, they'll, like, wake up one day with, like, a really, like, demented sense of memes. <laughs> Like none of my humor makes sense anymore. Right. So anyway, um, circle back. Anyway, so you do you want to take a guess at how many cases of this this dead bones occurs every year? I have no idea where to guess. Fifteen thousand. That's way too many. Yeah, way too many. Also, kind of low considering the population, but still. I still you have like a what like a point zero 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 one percent chance a non-zero chance of yeah non-zero chance of catching dead bone disease bad so uh most of the people are 30 to 50 years old so that's good we got it coming up a couple more so, years yeah a couple more years we're gonna have, we're gonna have haunted bones i guess ghost bones anyway so 
the Riverside Coroner's Office contacted Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory to investigate the incident. And Livermore Labs guessed, basically. The the articles that I've read all say like science words like postulated and stuff. It means it means they guessed. <laughs> Means they just they thought it up. Yeah, it sounds like us. Um, they they postulated that Ramirez had been using dimethyl sulfoxide. Do you know what that is? Dimethyl sulfoxide. Yep. Nope. Dimethyl sulfoxide is a solvent used as a powerful degreaser, and they thought that she was using it as a home remedy for pain. What made them make that guess? Well, I'm about to tell you. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, users of that substance report that it has a garlic-like taste, and it gets sold in a gel form at hardware stores. So you can actually go to like a Lowe's and pick up this DMSO compound, and it comes comes in a gel. You can get it in a jug. I found pictures of it. I'll post that on our Instagram, right. um, as well as a few pictures of like where they've evacuated the hospital and stuff, but... You can you can still buy this as a cream. Like when I was looking this up, Wait, you can. So you said it's for like cleaning. It's a it's a powerful degreaser. So what made people decide to take it for pain? Uh, I'm about to tell oh, you. Sorry, so, sorry, sorry. Get uh, ahead of us. <laughs> you're, you're getting way ahead. So, um, so it's sold in a gel form at hardware stores and could also explain the greasy appearance on her body, that oily sheen that the right. nurses noticed when they were defibrillating her. Um, so about DMSO. It's predominantly used as a topical analgesic. That's a pain reliever for you normies out there. I feel like you, maybe you didn't say that word right. Guaranteed. Um, <laughs> so, um, so it's a vehicle for topic topical application of pharmaceuticals um, as an anti-inflammatory and an antioxidant. Um, so DMSO, the way that the chemical structure is made, it, it permeates. Uh, your skin really well. And so back in like the sixties, they were doing some tests and found that um, you could use this as a vehicle to transport other pharmaceuticals. in. so either other pain relievers, um, which this has been found to kind of help with pain relief uh, in your muscles and joints. But they also found that we can use this for like antibiotics. We can use this for all kinds of stuff. And so um, anyway, so it basically just increases the rate of absorption of certain compounds through biological tissues uh, like your skin. So they use it in a lot of like transdermal drug deliveries. Um, it's frequently compounded with uh, antifungal medications actually because it, it's good at penetrating the skin. So um, as an alternative medicine though, <laughs> it, there's all kinds of history on alternative medicine. Um, it's, it's marketed as an alternative medicine um, the popularity of it as an alternative cure is stated to stem from a 60 minutes documentary in 1980. But that, I mean, that's like the, really the only thing that you can find as far as like why it got so popular back in the sixties and seventies, when they were researching all of this, it was kind of like found, they thought it was like a cure all for a bunch of stuff. So it's, you can use it in a lot of like, like I said, the, the transdermal drug deliveries, right? but also like it's, it's just good for a bunch of stuff. Um, and so they, they kind of marketed it as a cure-all in 60 Minutes did this documentary in 1980. Um, problem is that uh, it's DMSO is an ingredient listed in a bunch of products by the U.S. FDA as a fake cancer cure. Oh, no. So 
That's one of the things that people thought it would do is like cure cancer, which it doesn't. Um, And so the FDA has had a running battle with a bunch of the distributors of DMSO. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the distributors is Mildred Miller, who promoted DMSO for a variety of disorders and was consequently convicted of, guess what? Medicare fraud. Yeah, that tracks. So, yeah, tracks. That's <laughs> yeah. who to thunk. Um, so the use of DMSO as an alternative treatment for cancer is particularly concerning because it's been shown to actually interfere with a bunch of chemotherapy drugs, including uh, cisplatin, carboplatin, and oxaliplatin. That last one's a little hard. Um, but it, all of these uh, chemotherapy drugs, it, it kind of can interfere with. So that's particularly worrisome because people might be trying to use this as a additional cure and then it hey you're screwing up your actual treatments that we found do work Mm -hmm. so um, there's insufficient evidence to support the any hypothesis that dmso has any effect and most sources agree that its history of side effects when tested warrants caution when using as a dietary supplement which is actually marketed heavily with the usual disclaimer that hey this is the FDA doesn't like this, and it, it could interfere with certain medication you're but taking. Do what and, you want, and you yeah. So, um, it, it's really like all the people that are into like the those weird alternative medicines. Yeah, <laughs> they're just going to do it anyway. So who cares? Right. But um, it's actually uh, used as a veterinary medicine too. So, um, it, it's used for a liniment for horses, either alone in or in combination with other ingredients. So it's a topical medicated treatment applied to the skin for like stiffness and muscle pain and stuff like that. So, um, in, uh, in the case of, uh, being used with other ingredients, um, the, uh, the intended function of it is, uh, you're supposed to apply it with like possibly antibiotics or other muscle relaxers or pain relievers or something like that. But the problem is that it's, it's used as a like a really high intense solvent, mm-hmm. so that's why they sell it at hardware stores. Um, and so, uh, in horses, uh, DMSO is also used intravenously, uh, again alone in or in combination with other ingredients. So um, they can they can use it for intracranial pressure or cerebral edema, huh. which is you got blood in your brain, <laughs> so. <laughs> You got a, you got a problem. Dead bones, blood in the brain. Yeah, lots of stuff. Horses. I don't know how often horses get blood in the brain, but I don't either. It's uh, this is the the this whole episode is just like us saying weird, medical problems, weird medical conditions, but in like the the most five year old esque <laughs> way of describing them. Yeah, she had dead bones. So, but it's used as a solvent. So it's it's kind of crazy yeah. that. Has like a lot of purposes. It sounds yeah. Like. It's I mean it's a solvent and a degreaser, but people are rubbing it on their skin for to get rid of muscle pain. Yeah, which is is kind of insane. That's why in the '60s they thought it was a cure all, which later we find out that it's not. But anyway, the taste, um, the the perceived garlic taste upon skin contact with DMSO is due to the non-olfactory activation of. TRPA1 receptors. You know what that is? Sure go don't. ahead. Go ahead. Take a guess what a TRPA1 receptor is while bud. I drink coffee. <laughs> a taste bud, maybe, since they're tasting garlic. 
That's close. Um, Yay! So non-olfactory is uh, your sense of smell. I I think <laughs> I have I a no. That was like olfactory. O L. Yeah. N- well, olfactory. it's it's non-olfactory activation. So it's the TRPA one receptor is the the wasabi receptor, hmm. is what it's called. Um, and so uh, the it's responsible for sensing pain, cold, and itch in humans and other mammals, as well as a sensor for environmental irritants, giving rise to other protective responses like uh, tears and airway resistance. So like your throat swelling up and a cough. So um, it's in the trigeminal ganglia. Uh, you want to take a guess what that is? Something in the brain. Uh, that's, that's true. The trigeminal ganglion is located in the trigeminal, oh trigeminal cave. Somebody listening to this oh is, my is so upset They're with you for the like way you're pronouncing these words. Having an, mad. having an, an aneurysm. <laughs> They're writing in right now. Writing in. Like how angry they are at the way you're saying worst, these words. Worst first podcast episode ever. ever. Every every word is mispronounced. <laughs> um, so the trigeminal cave is, is called Meckel's Cave. It's a cavity formed by dura mater. Um, dura mater? What the heck? This is, this is like the worst <laughs> part of the podcast to read for me because everything is like science words. Okay, matter so, for sure. Dura matter. It's, it's only one T. Oh, that's Dura mater. <laughs> so um, in neuroautonomy, dura mater is a, a thick membrane made of dense, irregular connective tissue that surrounds the brain and spinal cord. Uh, it's the outermost of the three layers of membrane called the meninges. Okay, you ever heard, heard of that? that yeah. yeah, I've heard of that word. Heard Don't it. know what it is, but. <laughs> I've heard it. Um, Anyway, it's also in the brain. I'm pretty sure yeah. if I'm wrong, nobody write in. No, Don't correct me. No one correct us if we're wrong. So the, so this, the, the non-olfactory activation of TRPA1. So olfactory is your sense of smell, right? Yes. And taste, I, I guess. I think. And so non-olfactory is, is still the, like if you, if you smell a thing and you get tears, I guess. That's what the TRPA1 receptors Have are. Have you ever smelled a thing and got tears? I smelled you. Oh my, I'm quitting. Man, you walked right into that one. I will cry. (laughs) I will cry on the podcast. Apologize and give me three compliments. Hurting me, you smell good. Thank you. Jeez. Get out. Um anyway, so um it's so this is this is in the the meninges, right? Is central nervous system junk. This is all words I can't pronounce, and I'm just gonna fast I'm forward. Try to fast forward through <laughs> some of this so I don't look so stupid. <laughs> Good um, luck. So so unlike the dimethyl and dialosyl disulfides, um, they have odors resembling garlic. The mono and trisulfides typically have foul odors and uh, similar odiferous sulfur compounds. Um, so the pure chemical DMSO is actually odorless. So when you get it on your skin though, it just triggers these receptors to make you think like you're smelling or tasting garlic. Interesting. Just kind of weird. I get the same like feeling. Yeah. Um, I get the same feeling with those Olive Garden breadsticks that we were talking about <laughs> earlier. I'm still stuck on those. We should have gotten Olive Garden today instead of like Texas Roadhouse. No, Texas Roadhouse is superior to Olive Garden and I'll stand by that. You're just saying that because you got sick the last time. No, I got sick at Cheddar's. Yeah, Cheddar's is junk. Cheddar's Shout out Olive poisoned Garden. me. Yeah. I was it was that lady. She was terrible. The manager at Cheddar's in, <laughs> in, 
in, in this up. city in West Virginia. Dox us on episode one. Dox, dox the cheddars. That one lady, her name was Margaret. No, it wasn't. I know. I'm making that but up. I was so sick. So cheddars is canceled. Texas Roadhouse reigns supreme. Yeah. Olive Garden second. Yeah. I like I like the the um what do I get there? Alfredo. Yeah. Yeah. That's the good stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Can't even remember what it is. Have to look at a menu to figure it out. <laughs> Bottomless breadsticks are the important part anyway. <laughs> so the those early clinical trials with the DMSO that I that I were talking about earlier, they were stopped because of questions about its safety. And so they found out <laughs> no way. They found out prolonged use or overuse of this compound will actually harm your eyes. Like so if you go blind? Um, it'll change, from what I read, uh, it, it'll change the way the cone in your eye is shaped. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that makes you go blind or if you just, like, you know, you see things differently or, like, you can't, like, I don't know. It, nothing really ever said. I don't think anybody ever really got that. Like, there wasn't, I don't, I don't know that there was a huge spate of people that, or like, oh, I'm, I used garlic butter on my skin and now <laughs> I'm blind. What a connection. Like, yeah. So um, most commonly reported side effects include uh, headaches, burning and itching on contact with the skin. And they, they've had some strong allergic rea- reactions that have been reported. But um, typically, um, DMSO can cause uh, contaminants toxins and medicines to be absorbed through the skin, which is kind of the big problem that you have. I mean, they used it as this is the gateway for certain medications that we want to use. But if there's anything contaminating your skin or anything in this product that you're using, that might be a contaminant that you're not supposed to have on your skin. Well, guess what? It's inside you now. Like it's, it's already penetrated your skin. The, The compound is specifically designed to do that. Yeah. So anyway, um, it's, it's thought to increase the effects of blood thinners, steroids, heart medicines, sedatives, and other drugs. Um, and in some cases, that could be either harmful or dangerous. Like right. I said, you, you, I mean, they use it for good, but also, you know, you could use it for evil. <laughs> evil. So, um, so because it penetrates the skin so easily, they, uh, they recommend that you use certain kinds of gloves like butyl rubber. Um, or like the neoprene, like really thick 15 mm-hmm. mil gloves. Um, so nitrile gloves, which I think are used in emergency rooms. Yeah. I don't know what they use there. Like someone, if someone's someone who's a medical, latex, I think yeah. they use the other kind. Um, so the, these gloves, they get commonly used in laboratories. I think maybe the emergency rooms as well. But if you get this yeah. stuff in those, then it can actually go through those. Oh, bad. Um, so they've been they've been found to like degrade these gloves actually so it's kind of like what the heck yeah. um so anyway in uh, 1965 wall street journal reported that a manufacturer of the chemical warned that the death of an irish woman undergoing dmso treatment for a sprained wrist might have been due to the the treatment she could have died because of this chemical but there was no autopsy done and there was no like casual relationship that was described there. So they're discussing they're, too. Yeah, they're they were kind of like, hey, this could have been it. Right. We definitely the government didn't do it. <laughs> it was this chemical. So and I also we'll get into that later. <laughs> I also don't know that the Irish government ever killed that lady. I don't know who it is, but it was it was interesting to read that, nevertheless. So um 
the the Livermore scientists theorized that DMSO in Ramirez's system might have built up owing to the urinary blockage caused by her kidney failure, and the oxygen admitted administered by the paramedics would have combined with the DMSO to form another chemical, dimethyl sulfone. That's a DMSO two. So this is bad. No, no, it's not. It doesn't multiply. Um, so it's an organosulfur compound um, with the the formula. It's uh, CH three, and there's two CH three compounds attached to an SO two, which is the dimethyl sulfone. Um, it's known by several other names, including methyl sulfone, especially in alternative medicine. They call it uh, methyl sulfonyl methane (MSM). Uh, and it's a colorless solid that features a sulfonal functional group. And it's the simplest of the sulfones. So it's, I mean, it's a simp compound, I guess. <laughs> simp I, yeah. um, so it's, it's relatively inert uh, chemically and it's able to resist decomposition at elevated temperatures. So it occurs naturally in some primitive plants. It's present in small amounts of some foods not in the garlic breadsticks at Olive Garden. <laughs> I want you to know that's not in there, but other ones, yes. Um, and uh, it's marketed under MSN, MSM as a dietary supplement. So I I don't really know why. I, like I don't know what it does to your metabolism, but it they market it that way. It probably does nothing, and that's why it's in like alternative medicines. Is that? <laughs> But the the one, one. <laughs> the one interesting, oh yeah, hundred um, percent. The one interesting thing that we're going to get into a little bit later that circles back to this particular point is that it's used as a cutting agent for methamphetamine when you manufacture it. The so, more you know, yeah, the more you know. Right, yeah. This this podcast is all about how to commit the perfect murder and make the biggest drug empire Don't undetectable. Say either of those things at at FBI. <laughs> So, um, so it's also commonly found in the atmosphere above marine seas, uh, and it's used as a carbon source by airborne bacteria. Aphipia. Never heard of it. (laughs) Never heard of her. Um, oxidation (laughs) of the dimethyl sulfoxide produces a sulfone, uh, both under laboratory conditions and metabolically. So basically the paramedics gave her oxygen on the way there. And it combined with the dimethyl sulfoxide in her in her blood and in her body and stuff to make it the oxygen attached to it and made this dimethyl sulfone. So which is it's bad. Which is used as a solvent. Who'd have thought? <laughs> so um, because of the thermal stability, it, it can it doesn't degrade at really high temperatures. They use it a lot as a high temperature solvent. But the, the toxicity of it is uh, the the oral of do- doses of MSM are absorbed into the blood and cross the blood-brain barrier. And in a nuclear magnetic resonance study, also found detectable levels of MSM normally present in the blood and cerebrospinal fluid, suggesting that it derives from dietary sources, uh, intestinal bacteria, metabolism, and the body's endogenous methanethyl metabolism. Never heard of her. <laughs> so, uh, again, they use it as a a dietary supplement, um, and they so they've administered this to certain patients for a variety of ailments. Um, this one guy, Stanley W. Jacob, 
authored a book or co-authored a book promoting MSM with a variety of claims, including utility as a natural source of biologically active sulfur, uh, suggesting that there's not enough sulfur in your diet, so you need to take this to get more. Hmm. That's not the case. You're right. There's, <laughs> I promise you have enough sulfur, sulfur in your diet. Nobody's ever like given a, a sulfur an, deficiency. Yeah, no, no one's actually given a daily value establishment for for the the sulfur. But uh, dietary sources are literally everywhere. Uh, cruciferous vegetables, garlic, onions, uh, legumes. Nut seeds, plant milk, animal milk, and eggs. Mm -hmm. So eggs are full of sulfur. That's why when they get rotten, they smell bad, just like you. So, (laughs) (laughs) so anyway, anyway, this is a perfect time for my neighbors to start setting off fireworks. I know, love that in the background. I I just heard something. I was like, yeah, I was like, man, I hope that doesn't happen a lot. (laughs) I'm sure it will. um, Happy. What is today? Happy June 30th, everyone. Let's set June some 30th, yeah. <laughs> Let's just do it on March 4th. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so this has some some sort of benefits. Um, it's it's used as a anti-inflammatory. It's got some anti-inflammatory effects. Um, and some of the biological effects of the dimethyl sulfoxide and MSN differ. Um, but they can they can be mediated at least. So, I mean, it's not necessarily life-threatening by itself, I guess. Um, so, they actually found out that uh, the MSN will attenuate post-exercise muscular and joint pain at a clinical level. Mm-hmm. This is in a study that um, the like some national health laboratory did, National Health Science Laboratory, whatever it's called, they did a study, found that it will attenuate this muscle and joint pain after exercise at a clinical level, which means that like some people experience like mild attenuation of the pain, but it's nothing that's like significant. So that's that's National Laboratory of Medicine that did that study. Um, so the FDA actually had some actions against the this DMSO compounds that people were using. I would imagine. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> They, uh, in 2007, a manufacturer of MSN submitted a notification to the U S FDA claiming generally recognized as safe grass status. Grass Um, status. What does that mean? FDA says this is generally recognized as safe. Um, it's, it's just a status for safety of the compound. It's not necessarily dangerous, but they're not, they're not promoting it for any health reasons. Like at all. They're just like, it's, it's yeah. fine, but we don't want anything to, we yeah, don't please, encourage it. Yeah. Please. But like grass is an interesting ranking to give yeah, that. Do you know what the other options are? Nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming generally recognized as not safe. <laughs> yeah. Gr- grands. Oh, I'm so, I'm so dumb. What? Grass, an acronym generally recognized as safe. Yeah. Is what you were saying. Uh-huh. I was thinking like the word grass. Grass. Like, oh, grass? That's is, why I was like, what is the other? Is it like is there what's next? Soil? Tree, like rock, tree status? Tree? I'm so stupid. Okay. Grass as an acronym. Man, capital I, G-R-A-S. <laughs> I didn't think that was the part of the podcast that I would have to go like super in depth on. <laughs> I really like, I'm really going way too in depth on like some of these chemicals, but it's so interesting. Some of the, some of the articles I found on it. Yeah, it is interesting. Like all the stuff, that it said, <laughs> um, but then you lost me on that grass acronym. <laughs> generally recognized as safe. FDA says it's, it's kind of safe. 
that's uh, not going to kill you right off. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so we're getting back to Gloria Ramirez at, at this point. Okay. After, after a 25 minute segue <laughs> on, on DMSO. Um, it, well, the people need to know it's so, important. <laughs> so they're, they're saying that the, the paramedics gave her oxygen. Um, and that combined with the DMSO that she was rubbing on her body and it made this dimethyl sulfone, the DMSO2. And what's interesting about DMSO2 is that it's known to crystallize at room temperature. And crystals were observed in some of Ramirez's drawn blood. Remember right. that? Yeah. They held it up and they're like, hey, there's those manila crystalline structures in there. And then they passed out. Mm-hmm. So they, what they said was, the electric shocks administered during the emergency defibrillation could have then converted the DMSO2 into a third compound, <laughs> a.k.a. dimethyl sulfate, DMSO4. Huh. Now. Not what I thought you were This say. one is super bad. <laughs> this one is. No. This is where, like, the cosmic horror of chemicals comes in. No. Because this is, this is a nasty thing. So, so DMSO2 has those dimethyl uh, attachments in the comment. This is where, like, you're, anybody that knows anything about organic chemistry, which neither of us do. Not, not a chance. They'll be like, whoa, that's, that. that's really interesting. So, okay, anyway. My, um, my sister-in-laws are chemical engineers. And oh, my gosh. They're so smart. My husband's sisters, they are so smart. They're going to listen to this and, like, never want to talk to me again because we've messed up <laughs> so bad. They're like, <laughs> you guys totally messed up all of chemistry. You've, yeah, like, you're, not even one sentence in that podcast was accurate. <laughs> you might as well be, What's who are the people that alchemists that turn? <laughs> just, yeah. They're um, like, um, with peace and love, I have some notes for your next yeah. episode. Please do your research. You said. Please, <laughs> please do more scientific research on all this because this is terrible. Um, d- don't care. <laughs> care, care a little bit. Um, so this dimethyl sulfate. There's the interesting part of the chemical structure. There is that the the dimethyl sulfone is a, a sulfone compound the SO2 attached to two uh, methyl bonds, right? So you've got methyl on either end. And so the dimethyl sulfate is those two bonds, but you have to break those two bonds in the sulfone and then add two more oxygens and then reattach the, <laughs> the I think. I oh, think. Please, man. please correct me because... Or don't. So what's happened <laughs> is... um. They've, they've defibrillated her and that electric shock broke those bonds and, and then they got uh, a couple extra oxygens <laughs> then it got the stuff again. I wish you guys could see so the way I'm, I'm making... is talking with his hands right now, trying to like it's... show me how these bonds would correct. <laughs> He's just grabbing the air and moving it around. <laughs> this is my worst nightmares as somebody that doesn't really know anything about like, like biological science. You picked an amazing topic. <laughs> for the first episode, this is... Hopefully this gets across like the humor aspect of all of this terrible right. spooky stuff because I'm I'm so scared of medical things. Yeah, I, this is terrifying. Like, like if anybody knows me, kind of knows that I'm I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac when it right. comes to anything that is scary. Well, like this is scary because this this is very normal stuff to happen in an emergency. Like they're giving her oxygen, they're shocking her. Very normal things that just so happen to make this whole 
event go catastrophically yeah. wrong. So it is scary that just like small actions like that could lead to something so bad. Yeah. So it's, it's about to get a little bit worse because when they, when they shocked her and they made this, uh, DMSO four, the dimethyl sulfate, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the sulfate compound. Okay. Uh, dimethyl sulfate is a highly toxic dimethyl ester of sulfuric acid. Horrible. Exposure to that chemical could have caused some of the reported symptoms of the emergency department staff. Yeah. So let's, let's get into it. This is, this is terrifying. This is the terrifying part of all of this medical stuff, because if true, this is a complete accident that this compound was made. Right. And it's so toxic. It's so toxic. So, um, the, uh, the dimethyl, uh, sulfate, it's a colorless oily liquid with a slight onion odor. Although if you smell it, that would represent significant exposure. Oh, bad. So it's, if you don't smell it, you're good. If you do, well, maybe you're not good, but if you do smell it, you're definitely <laughs> <not> screwed. <laughs> like this is, it's bad for you. So it was actually investigated as a candidate for a possible use in chemical warfare in World War One. Oh my gosh. That's, that's how bad it was. They wanted to kill Germans. Or maybe the Germans were trying to kill the French. Either way, whoever did it first is was trying to kill other people, and that's why they did it. So it's a it's a I'm gonna really butcher a pronunciation here. It's a 75% to 25% mixture with methyl chloral sulfonate. That chemical compound is CH3CLO3S. That's a mouthful. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's called Seestoff in Germany. That's a lot easier to pronounce. Um, so, or it's mixed with a uh, chlorosulfonic acid called rationite in France. So they were both experimenting with this. They use chemical warfare all over the place. It would be worth doing an episode if it wasn't for all of the chemical pronunciations. Yeah, this is to do one on all of the chemical warfare done in, in world war one. Cause that's terrifying. Of all the stuff that they did there, and there's some good movies about it, like uh, the All Quiet on the Western Front was a really good representation of some of the terrible stuff. I had to read that book for college. It was so sad. I did not watch the movie, but the book was... It's a great book, but very sad. Yeah, the movie is is extremely graphic in the sense that it's all the chemical warfare and the Mm -hmm. people getting stabbed and shot and dying because their blood gets in their lungs. And it fills them up, and then they just die. So, uh, terrible stuff. Yes, very tragic. Anyway, um, dimethyl sulfate is carcinogenic. Carc- carcinogen- cars- carcinogenic. Causes cancer. There you go. Um, and uh, it's highly poisonous, corrosive, and environmentally hazardous. So, everything yeah. that you don't want in one compound, this is it. Uh, it's absorbed through the skin, mucous membranes, and gastrointestinal tract, and can cause fatal delayed respiratory tract reaction. So basically, after exposure to this, it might be a while, but your breath is going to stop working. Oh, that's a that's medical definition. <laughs> so uh, there's there's no strong odor. Like I said, if you smell the onions, you're, it, it's extreme contamination mm-hmm. with your with your air. Um, so 
it'll it'll cause um, immediate irritation to warn of uh, lethal concentration in the air. So if you if you find yourself like like having a really bad reaction, then there might be something really bad in your air. Go figure. Um, <laughs> anyway, so the Livermore scientists postulated again that word. They guessed. I think that's what that means. Um, so they, <laughs> it, it sounds just like a guess. Like I understand that it's a scientific guess. Maybe like guess. hypothesized, an educated guess based on some facts, and some observations and some evidence. Maybe. I don't know. We, who knows? People who came up with the English language definitely know. Um, so they're, they're saying that the change in temperature of the blood that was drawn from, from her body whenever it cooled down to the emergency room, which is at a brisk 64 degrees. It's like perfect operating temperature for every man out there. That's and so cold. every one of those men has a girlfriend who's like, I need it to be 80 That's degrees and I have to have cool. a blanket and a hoodie on. No, and genuinely, my husband would probably be comfortable if we kept our house at 60 degrees. That's and I fact. would probably be comfortable if we kept it at like 75 degrees. That's that's burning, boiling hot. You might as well put me in a pressure cooker. Uh, anyway, so uh, whenever when it when it was cooled down, um, they, it may have contributed to its conversion from DMSO two into DMSO four. Um, so that's as it cools down, you get this this chemical reaction when it's cooling that adds all this stuff. Again, I don't know anything about organic chemistry. Neither of us do. Clearly. This is We're not fooling according anybody. to these articles that, yeah, everyone's like, oh, these guys like, are clearly yeah, idiots. We know. <laughs> so, um, I'll get in, I'll get into this, this article. I found that, that it talks about, um, some of the, some of the dimethyl sulfate, uh, chemical. Um, so it's cited in the scientific literature as a chemical warfare agent and created by an unusual confluence of chemical reactions. So it's believed that Ramirez used DMSO, the dimethyl sulfoxide, uh, that's the wonder drug that everyone thought it was, and it was, she was using it to relieve various arthritic aches and pains. Uh, the DMSO is metabolized to become the dimethyl sulfone, which was found in her system. It's likely produced, like I said, by the administration of oxygen by the paramedics. And then when the attendants drew blood from Ramirez in the emergency room, the sudden drop in temperature uh, from the blood in her body to the, again, 64 degrees, perfect operating temperature of the emergency room. Uh, it could have created that dimethyl sulfate, the lethal compound. Now the scientists noted that virtually every known side effect of dimethyl sulfate uh, short of death, <laughs> which is kind of what it was designed to be. Um, it was all of the side effects were exhibited by those that smelled Ramirez's blood. Uh, likewise, virtually every symptom displayed by the attendants was consistent with exposure to the toxin. Also, DMSO can appear oily, which is consistent with the presence of an oily sheen on Ramirez's body that some of the witnesses say that they saw. And that's from an article on uh, gasdetection.com. So, they sound trustworthy. It sounds like that, but... You know, so do, so do we, and we have mispronounced and butchered everything on yeah. the very first episode of, we, maybe we shouldn't have picked like a super scientific 
topic for yeah you really just like one. went straight to it i was just like i'm gonna get the hard one out of the way first yeah so that so maybe stick with us please the, come back next the, time the rest of them will be super easy after this <laughs> so for ramirez's burial um they they actually buried her two months after she died um her severely decomposed body was released for an independent autopsy and burial uh, the Riverside Coroner's Office hailed Livermore's DMSO conclusion as the probable cause of the hospital worker's symptoms, while her family disagreed. The Ramirez family pathologist was unable to determine a cause of death because her heart was missing, her other organs were cross-contaminated with fecal matter, and her body was too decomposed. Where was her heart? Uh, th- nobody knows, I guess. I, I couldn't. I couldn't find anything about her where her heart missing. went. Yeah, it's gone. Everyone's like, well, I, I assume that we'll they like, they took it out to study it and it didn't maybe put it back? It didn't, <laughs> didn't put it back or like accidentally threw it away. I don't know. Oh, put that's it in sad. heart organ storage bin. I don't know. They just chuck hearts in there. That's like, who knows? Anyway. So they, uh, they, they said that the, the body was too decomposed, which fair it's, I mean, it's been two months. Two months. Yeah. Um, but, uh, they, they were mad that the, some of the organs were cross-contaminated with fecal matter, which if the body's decomposing and your organs are decomposing, you would expect some to leak out, I guess. And if there yeah. were any other like cuts made or anything that was moved, you, I mean, stuff leaks out. Obviously. I mean, they've done now two autopsies on her, I guess. So right. it's, uh, let the record show. We also don't know the proper procedure for autopsies, but we're just I've done a few. Hypoth- I, <laughs> um, I'm an autopsy expert. FBI. <laughs> <laughs> I've, not licensed. FBI. But, no. I'm um, dropping my location. Please come yeah, to me. <laughs> I don't yeah, we don't know the the really the procedure for it. I've seen a few episodes of CSI though, so that like yeah. qualifies me, I guess. Right? Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um April twentieth, nineteen ninety four, ten weeks after the death, Ramirez was buried at Olivewood Memorial Park in Riverside. So they're going into a technical forensic analysis of uh, of this this whole chemical concoction and all of this. Um, they they say that the uh, the chemical explanation for this incident was uh, kind of almost entirely provided by Patrick M. Grant of the Livermore Forensic Science Center, um, and so that's that's starting to show up in all kinds of like forensic science books. Um, so uh, there, there's been a bunch of these books that have popped up and they, they share this case as like, hey, this is kind of one of these weird deaths and this is kind of how we think that it happened and this chemical showed up and it made everybody sick and made everybody <laughs> faint. Right. So um, there, the, the explanation by Grant uh, in some of these textbooks is, quote, the most scientific explanation to date and... Uh, quote, beyond this theory, no credible explanation has ever been offered for the strange case of Gloria Ramirez, end quote. So uh, there, the, the Grant conclusion, as I have lovingly come to refer to it as, is a speculation about the incident that's uh, whenever they did this for forensic science study. And they, they passed it around to chemists, toxicologists, uh, peer-reviewed um, they put it in a bunch of these forensic science journals, all these medical journals and things like that. So it's 
they put this report out and it's been it's been looked at pretty thoroughly by people that are way way smarter than you and I. Like yeah. so so much smarter <laughs> on all the chemical things. They I bet you they could even pronounce them all correctly. So um I'm going to I'm going to read this um that uh when when Grant uh when, when when the grant conclusion came out, they they're saying that uh, the the potential for the chemical reaction mechanisms um, that might have formed this dimethyl sulfate from dimethyl sulfoxide the the potential for that is kind of like slim. <laughs> like the the odds of this ever happening is like one in a million chance, like one right. in one in a billion. This is. Never happened before, never has happened since then. This is like the perfect concoction for things to go wrong. Right. <laughs> the the fact that she's used dimethyl sulfone um as a or sorry, dimethyl sulfoxide as a pain reliever that mm-hmm. then got transferred to dimethyl sulfone and then later into a super toxic chemical warfare agent. <laughs> Insane odds for this to happen. But um there's there's some alternative th- theories to this, and so interesting. So these are I'm I'm so excited to get to this. Good, ready for these alternative theories. <laughs> this has been crazy and scary that something like this could happen. Yeah. So so there's some alternative theories. Okay. I found I found this is my best source so far. Some of these have been from scientific journals. Okay. My best source so <laughs> far. Are you ready? Yeah. A Reddit user. <laughs> A Reddit user posted in a comment on this and said, the best theory I've heard was someone was using IV bags to hold meth precursors and selling it through the hospital. Somehow the precursor got used and not sold. It turned the poor lady's blood to sludge. If people higher up were involved, then it explains why it sounded so fishy, why it seems like a cover-up happened. But that does not explain why everybody else got sick. So, <laughs> unless so, you're about to tell me that. So I didn't know that this was. A, I thought it was like very cut and dry that hey, this chemical was like th- this there was a happened. chain reaction of chemicals. Yeah, and and th- this is a cut and dry case of what happened. And just right. because the Ramirez family thinks that she wasn't using DMSO, it doesn't necessarily like make it. You know, th- doesn't mean that they're right. Like this right. is this seems like very much the best explanation for what happened. This Reddit user, though, says they were using meth, and that's the best theory. <laughs> so I looked up by Google search, Gloria Ramirez, the toxic lady, meth. <laughs> and I found an article from the LA Times. And this is from uh, so the funeral that happened. They, they had Reverend Brian Taylor on uh, who read their, uh, did their, their funeral proceedings. Um, so Reverend Brian Taylor read from Paul's letter to the Corinthians to those that gathered from the memorial. Um, he read from the 23rd Psalm and reflected on John's gospel. He talked over how Gloria Ramirez was a friend to all quick to smile, carefree joker who brought comfort and joy to others and all of that great stuff. He also said, even though the medical authorities have not concluded how Ramirez died or whether she was a source of the mysterious fumes Taylor referred to 
that bizarre tragic incident in the hospital emergency room that took her life, the hospital he maintained is, quote, likely to blame for the toxic fumes that took her life. So the reverend says that the hospital is a fault. That's interesting. Um, He scolded the county for not sharing the results of the investigation into her death with the family and for the handling of her body, which Riverside County officials did not release for the burial until last weekend. So this is, she was buried on a Tuesday the previous weekend. Um, They didn't release her body until then. And it says, uh, county officials have called Ramirez's death the most baffling in local history and have said they would likely disclose their findings by the end of the month. A county spokesman has said that the hospital is not believed to be the source of the fumes. Ramirez, who had been found to have cervical cancer six weeks earlier, was rushed to the hospital February 19th, complaining of breathing difficulties and nausea. One doctor tried unsuccessfully to keep her alive as the body went into cardiac arrest. Um, Six other emergency room attendants grew dizzy or collapsed. Several complained that the blood drawn from Ramirez into a syringe smelled foul. For Would you and, smell blood if it was drawn into a syringe? That's what I've been thinking, and I think mm, probably. I think the 90s syringes were a lot worse than we have now, I bet. Are you just I'm making that, that up. up? Yeah, like, That did not sound based on anything. No, it's not. I've, <laughs> yeah, I've like, it's wondered not about that. It's, it's not, but I think that you can still... When you draw it, some of it might get aerated. If you're a medical professional, please write in and tell us. I think you can definitely smell blood. People know what blood smells like, but no, for sure. Like if you have an open cut or if there's a lot of blood, for sure you can smell it. But I'm thinking like if it's drawn from a vein into a syringe, there's not any like out for you to smell. Right. I yeah, I've not. I've thought about it, but this is what they've. This is all they've said. (laughs) Yeah. Let us. I mean, let us know. I. (laughs) Like weird. Literally, that's the only thing that I've I've ever thought. Like, huh? I don't I don't know that I've ever smelled blood through a syringe. Don't really want to though. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, for the uh, the autopsy, uh, pathologists wore protective suits and worked in a specialty built room. Um, and then county officials said that her casket could not be opened unless similar precautions were taken. So unless people were wearing like hazmat suits, right? Right. So, uh, Gloria has not been treated right. Her death was unjust and the treatment of her body has been unjust. Reverend Taylor said, um, the people responsible need to be held accountable for that. That's what he said. Yeah. Fair. So, um, so this, uh, that that's from the LA times article. This one article I found from, uh, it's called amusing planet. So they sound legit. <laughs> I'm really sorry. <laughs> like that is a super legit <laughs> source. Planet. It just the it experts. sounds like not. It's not. I mean, I I, I don't know. Sure. I, the experts, but um. So uh, they said that the the L.A. Times proposed an alternative explanation. The hospital staff was illegally manufacturing the drug methamphetamine what? and was smuggling them in IV bags. One of which inadvertently hooked up to Ramirez. Uh, the exposure to methamphetamine may have caused rounds of nausea, headache, and blackouts. The idea of a secret meth lab in a major hospital <laughs> not only sounds extraordinarily stupid, <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> the basis for such a wild theory is that Riverside County has been one of the country's largest distribution points for meth. So they think the hospital's in yeah. on it. I think, I think out here where we live <laughs> yeah, is I mean, also, maybe. they're probably making making meth in some of the hospitals over here. Yeah, but maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, this is from United Press International. 
and this is an article written in 97, um, May 15th, 1997. Uh, a published report says the mysterious fumes that injured six emergency room workers at Riverside County Hospital several years ago probably came from a hidden drug lab at the facility. <laughs> Gloria Ramirez, a young mother with advanced cervical cancer, was being treated at the hospital's emergency room for nausea and difficulty breathing, and a nurse who had been drawing her blood passed out, and then this goes through all of this stuff, and basically says the New York Times, it's not, not the New York Times, the New Times, Los Angeles, <laughs> man, I really inserted, inserted some words into that one. The New Times, Los Angeles, said state inspectors deemed her corpse a public health hazard, the Riverside County Coroner's Office believed the fumes had come from the sick woman and took extreme precautionary measures before performing the autopsy. But the cause of the fumes have remained a mystery. According to the autopsy, the woman died of heart and liver failure from cancer. Um, and I've seen a few different things on, on this heart failure, kidney failure, liver failure. I think just in having stage four cancer and then doing these alternative treatments and then when they're trying to uh, resuscitator and they're making chemical uh, warfare agents in her body. Inside her body I yeah. think a lot of organs are going to fail on you. So yeah, that I, doesn't sound you know. like beyond the realm of possibility. Yeah. So um, says uh, they, the new times of Los Angeles says officials never pursued the theory that the fumes came from an illicit methamphetamine lab in the hospital, despite the fact that smells and symptoms experienced by the ER staff uncannily match those associated with exposure to meth fumes. State health and safety officials who investigated the hospital after the incident found no evidence that the vapors were generated by the hospital's use and storage of chemicals, ventilation systems, or sewage disposal system. So, there's this theory floating around that they were just making meth in the basement. Right. And they were, and they were trying to traffic it. And, uh, and some of the fumes that they're smelling, the garlic and all of the stuff, ammonia that it is also meth. So there's one other alternative theory and I'll get into what the summary of the best explanation that I've seen is. Okay. I only found one source for this. Okay. <laughs> and they mentioned it once. If you say a says, Twitter user, I'm done. <laughs> no, it was, it was an article I read that, that gave some of the meth explanation. And it's, it says the other explanation is aliens. <laughs> and then hang on hang on it says aliens full stop like super tiny itty bitty ones question mark explanation point question mark explanation point question mark explanation point just little tiny aliens i looked i looked for 30 minutes straight yeah gloria ramirez aliens the toxic lady aliens <laughs> Gloria Ramirez, Toxic Lady, Extraterrestrials, Aliens in the Blood, like all the stuff. Everything I could think of. Aliens in the Blood. I didn't find a single source that said anything about aliens, but I thought it was funny enough to mention. Yeah, Aliens in the Blood sounds like a way for us to describe a medical condition we can't pronounce. Aliens in the Blood sounds like the an album name. Yeah, Like the number two or three album from... Like a prog rock band. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent it does. Aliens no. in the blood. <laughs> so anyway, we're we're going to the the best explanation that I could find for okay. this entire thing. So a lot of this comes from uh the that grant conclusion I was talking about earlier. Yeah. 
So this is, uh, a lot of this also comes from uh, Discover Magazine, and they cover a lot of this. But they wrote this article uh, April 1st, 1995, uh, hashtag April Fools. So, um, <laughs> um, in all, 23 of the 37 emergency room staff members experienced at least one symptom. Five were hospitalized for the rest of the night. Um, there was uh, Balderas endured bouts of apnea during the 10-day hospitalization. Gorchinsky, the most severely ill, spent two weeks in intensive care, where in addition to apnea, suffered from hepatitis, pancreatitis, avascular necrosis, um, where, like we said, it's bone tissue doesn't have any blood. So uh, the bones start to die. Uh, in her case, the avascular necrosis attacked her knees, restricting her to crutches for months. Um, and then uh, it says, here's a quote from uh, Sheldon Wagner, who's a clinical toxicologist at Oregon State University. He says, quote, it takes a really damn potent toxin to do all of that. Yeah. So it does sound like it would take a potent one. That that's the, the most poignant statement I've read through this whole, like all of my research. Yeah. Like, you know what it sure does? It sure oh, does. I wonder what it could have been. <laughs> so anyway, um, says, uh, first on the scene, uh, arriving at about 11 PM after Ramirez's death at Riverside, um, is the, the Riverside County hazardous materials team. The hazmat team was after basically a smoking gun, something that like, obviously this is what caused all of this stuff. They're looking for some volatile toxin, tox, toxicant toxin, something in the air. Try that one again. Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so some, some kind of toxin, something that's in the air, um, that might be in the emergency room. Uh, they search for any host of noxious chemicals, including hydrogen sulfide, or it's sewer gas, basically. Um, uh, any kind of poison that smells like rotten eggs at high concentration, um, and some of those can kill people at just a few whiffs of it. Um, uh, phosgene uh, or some kind of some kind of gas uh, that you know something that would cause all of these problems that they can pull out of the air and say. This is the thing. So anyway, so they're, they're looking for a gas with something that might be just a normal gas, something like a, a law abiding chemical. So this article calls it yeah, says, <laughs> a law abiding ingredient used in the preparation of many organic chemicals. And on the other side of this, this, uh, chemical, uh, can be used for weapon for chemical warfare. This is kind of what they're looking for. So um, the hazmat team's lack of suspects, they basically didn't find anything. And that's not very relieving because they're looking for all this stuff. Um, so they, uh, they went to the coroner's office whose pathologists are now left with kind of the, the unnerving task of performing an autopsy on Ramirez without any clue as the what's in her body that's making all these people pass out. Good luck. So um, they they weren't going to take any chances. They put on airtight moon suits, um, which I guess means that they put on pajamas and stood in front of Stanley Kubrick's set oh. for the moon because the moon's fake. Don't start about the moon. That will tear our friendship apart. We're not talking about the moon. 
move on. This, this is a, after all, this is a moon episode. No, I'm not doing a moon we, episode. I'll never do a moon episode we, with you. We've done an hour and a half, and it turns out to be a moon episode. Never a moon um, episode. <laughs> anyway, so the coroner's office remained pretty tight-lipped about what the analysis that they conducted was um, in the, the days that were following. Um, oh my gosh, I need to plug in my computer. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh no. We almost lost everything. <laughs> oh, could oh, you, could you imagine? Cried. I would cry. An hour so, and a half in and your computer dies and it's all gone. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I would think I would quit. <laughs> so the, the one thing this article says, one thing is certain Several days after the autopsy, the Riverside coroner had still found nothing remarkable and had begun to seek help. So one of the consulting groups was an obscure outfit called the Forensic Science Center at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. We've been talking about them. Um, And they're situated about 60 miles east of San Francisco, rooted in the nuclear arms buildup that started shortly after World War II. But in about the past decade or so, uh, at about this death, so in the 80s, um, they stopped doing research on nuclear weapons and they started going into just normal laboratory things, which is a good thing. So we should praise them for that, not (laughs) not making nukes and instead looking for chemical biological warfare (laughs) weapons. Way better. Good job. Yeah. So... Anyway, the Forensic Center took up the Ramirez case in early March when Sacramento criminologists put the the Riverside Coroner's Office in touch with the center's deputy director, Pat Grant, on March 25th. After some preliminary discussions, the office officially requested Livermore's help and shipped autopsy samples on dry ice to the lab. So it says... um, we had a meeting with the very last day of the month to determine our exact game plan, says Brian Anderson, the center's director. They, the plan they developed was straightforward. Analyze the compounds, both organic and inorganic, in the blood, bile, and tissues from Ramirez's organs, including her heart, liver, lungs, brain, and kidneys. The team would also check for any gases that may have vented off from the samples into the headspace, uh, the pocket of air separating the samples from the tops of their containers. Um, Anderson suspected that the headspace would be a likely retreat for a noxic, noxious gas, particularly in the container holding the bile, a yellowish secretion from the liver. Bet you didn't know what bile was. I did. <laughs> so, um, anyway, basically the, the noxious chemicals are going to leak out into the air that's in the, in the containers. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all he found was nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and argon. Normal stuff. Didn't find anything remarkable. Um, and so what, what he was hoping was to find some kind of chemical that, mm-hmm. like, even, like, just the smallest amount would help. But they, I mean, they didn't find anything that was out of the ordinary. So next, Andrazen analyzed the samples using a high-powered tool known as a, here's a word, oh, a real no. mouthful, computer-guided combined gas Chromatograph mass spectrometer. Does that one have an acronym? Uh, CG, CG, CMP, CMS. Perfect. <laughs> so that's, a, that's helpful. Um, <laughs> it's a computer guided combined gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. So that's eight times very quickly. I can't say it once. <laughs> so the procedure was as follows First, Anderson inserted a drop of prepared sample into the chromatograph. 
the drop containing, containing hundreds of chemicals was vaporized and shunted into a chromatography column where it was slowly heated to 570 degrees. And as the vapors grew warmer, the chemicals began to migrate through the column, sorting out along the way according to their electric charge and vapor pressure. Anderson measured their concentration and then piped the vapors into the mass spectrometer chamber, which fires electrons at the chemicals. The electrons shatter the molecules into all types of pieces. The shattering pattern unique to every substance is called a mass spectrum. So basically they shoot them with an electron gun and however they break up is maybe what they are. Okay. So, and that's, that's unique to every chemical. So they can, they can analyze the mass spectra and find out the, what uh, the identity of the compounds that were circulating Ramirez's system just before her death. Among them were the drugs lidocaine, Tylenol, codeine, and Tygen, an anti-nausea medication. So none of these are out of the ordinary either. They're all just right. like, it's normal stuff that uh, you would expect to see with somebody that's suffering from cancer. I mean, they're going to use pain relievers, anti-nausea medication. They're going to, I mean, they're going to use this stuff. So that's not, there's nothing out of the ordinary. Anderson also found a lot of hydrocarbons, the chemicals that had leached into samples from their sterile plastic containers. Uh, medical personnel think of sterile as being without bugs, not without chemicals, uh, Anderson says. So the products that they used are super clean and sterile, so there's no germs on them, but they're completely covered in chemicals of all kinds of sorts. Mm. So trained forensic eye can quickly dismiss some of those uh, some of those signals that they're getting as like this is just normal stuff that's on normal medical equipment. But there, you know, there's there's chemicals everywhere on everything. So ignoring all of those red herrings, uh, Anderson found a few interesting anomalies. One was an unidentified amine, a derivative of ammonia, that may have contributed to the ammonia-like smell noted in the emergency room. The investigation by the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health. That's OSHA. That's oh. a sick OSHA violation, dog. <laughs> also found that this amine had suggested that it was possible culprit, despite its minuscule levels in the autopsy samples. Anderson's team had more likely had a more likely explanation for the amine, though. They said it formed as Ramirez's body broke down uh, the anti-nausea drug Tygen. So, um, so there's a, another peculiar substance. Um, it was nicotinamide. Oh. So <laughs> that's a compound. Okay. Uh, like phosgene uh, with a dual personality. It's a V. Uh, a a B vitamin. I'm getting the word you mess up is B vitamin. (laughs) The the letter B. B vitamin is the one that Shane can't pronounce. (laughs) B vitamin, as the British would say. Um, it's it's crucial to human health. Also mixed into illegal drugs like methamphetamine. So you're getting your vitamins if you're doing meth. Don't tell people that. <laughs> at everyone. At young children, do meth. <laughs> no, um, don't listen to that. Bad. <laughs> so, um, since nicot- 
Tenamide is relatively inexpensive and can cause euphoria. Dealers can extend their expensive drugs with it and make a larger profit. It's an unusual compound for someone to be taking if they're very, very sick, says Anderson. So there's another aspect of that whole meth thing that maybe they're using it to extend the meth high. The hospital? Yeah. Oh, in their secret basement meth lab. Their secret meth lab basement. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, the third odd chemical was um, it was pigeonholed either as trivial or important. Dimethyl sulfone. Here we go again. <laughs> so that's uh, we've already talked about it. Um, it's uh, basically it's can be a natural chemical that is in your body. Uh, people also were using it for the, um, the pain relief for the muscles and the joints and stuff. So if she just found out that she's, guess what you, you know, you six weeks ago, you're diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer and you have all this pain from your cancer and stuff. And maybe you're doing these cancer treatments or maybe, you, you know, there's just, you've just got like basically a life threatening diagnosis and you don't think there's any help for you. You're going to be using these alternative medications right so it's um it's something that's kind of interesting that they've they've found that hey you you know you've you've got these other chemicals in your body but this one particular one always keeps coming back and standing out so um the uh the dimethyl sulfone itself couldn't knock out an emergency room so when uh anderson flew to riverside on april 12th to brief the coroner his conclusion was that he had found nothing that looked like a poison. So naturally, because this is, it's, it's generally recognized as safe, right? So grass, yeah, grass, um, as opposed to tree status <laughs> from the FDA. Uh, Anderson recalls some of the anxious, anxious questioning by the coroner's office in hopes of finding a smoking gun. He insisted that it appeared Ramirez had simply taken a lot of codeine and Tylenol which in large sustained doses can damage the liver. Uh, he also highlighted the findings that had intrigued him. The amine that might've caused the ammonia like odor, the nicotinamide and the dimethyl sulfone. There's clearly was something unusual going on, but nothing that could have re- resulted in Ramirez's death or the emergency room symptoms. He was discouraged. And he says, I remember thinking, how could I spend this much time and not find anything? Cause they're doing all of these crazy, crazy testing on all of, all of these chemicals. And, and he suddenly comes up with, guess what? Nothing, right. like nothing that shows anything that could have knocked out all these hospital staff. So, um, they thought that it had reached the end of the road. Basically, um, they gave a press conference and to reveal the autopsy results. And they said that, uh, Ramirez had died of cardiac dysrhythmia triggered by kidney failure stemming from her cervical cancer. Um, and they said that the investigation into her death was finished. Um, and as for the hospital illness uh, in the workers, um, they said that uh, they, they're not really sure how it could be linked to Ramirez, but there's something mysterious going on. Um, that is unhelpful. Yeah, for real. <laughs> they, like they spent all this Thanks time. For nothing. Hey, hey, guess what? The, this is a super long podcast and guess what? There's nothing weird. <laughs> so, um, Anyway, so they they close the books basically on the Ramirez death, right? There's there's no explanation for the outbreak of illness. 
Um, the county health department called in California's Dep- Department of Health and Human Services, which put two of its top scientists on the case, that Maria Osorio and Kirsten Waller. And that's those are the two that said this is a mass hysteria case. Boo. Yeah, boo. They they that's said so lame. They said, oh, based on these questions, women be crazy. That was that was their conclusion. Horrible. So, um, the uh, the funny thing about it though is that um, the the people that had worked uh, within like the, those two feet of Ramirez um, and worked with her intravenous lines and and those people were at high risk, but um, because they were women <laughs> primarily. And, uh, and because they had, they had been in, in close, uh, close confinement with Ramirez, I guess, or close contact with Ramirez, um, they said that, uh, those people specifically are suffering from mass hysteria. The, these particular people, the ones that were close to her and women. So that's, what? that's, that's, that was their two things that like, these are the two factors that, I would believe aliens over that yeah. theory, like <laughs> little I'm, itty bitty ones, little itty bitty tiny so, aliens in the blood. I'm rejecting the mass hysteria theory. <laughs> so those findings <laughs> working close with her and being a woman coupled with the autopsy results, the hazmat analysis and the unremarkable blood test led to an official report that the health department released on September 2nd, the conclusion the hospital staff most likely experienced an outbreak of mass sociogenic illness, perhaps triggered by an odor. In other words, they'd been felled by stress and anxiety. You're joking. That's the official Stop. report. So, oh, my in support of gosh. this mass hysteria theory, Osorio and Waller cited the lack of evidence for a poison and the fact that women were more likely to suffer Stop. severe symptoms. Oh. Again, Are you kidding me? women be crazy. <laughs> Shut up. That's it, it is, it so is, annoying. I guess, notable that in all, in most cases of mass hysteria, I think, um, and we'd have to look into it and maybe right. do like a short episode or something on it, that women are more likely to be affected by mass hysteria. I don't necessarily know why that is. Okay. But, but like, p- let's point out that at this time period, most nurses would have been women. Yeah. So just like by default, more people that came in contact with right. were women anyway. Yeah. So it, it really, that part doesn't really make any sense to me no, at all. Because like, it's a little different now, but during that time, most nurses were women. So there would have been more women in contact with her to begin with. So that's yeah. a stupid theory and I hate it. <laughs> yeah. So, so they said, this is, uh, this is mass hysteria. And they said, no, it's not. <laughs> and Waller did not rule out the possibility that substance poisoned emergency room staff who had worked directly over Ramirez. So they're like, we think it's mass hysteria, but we're not ruling out that you were poisoned. Thanks for nothing. Guys. <laughs> so anyway, thanks for nothing. Um, Gorchinsky and her lawyer really didn't like the mass hysteria uh, good. <laughs> explanation for it. Um, and they, they completely denounced it. Uh, and they filed a lawsuit against the Riverside general hospital and several others seeking $6 million in damages. A report suggesting Gorchinsky experienced psychosomatic symptoms would certainly not play well for her in court. So they have this report out that says it's mass hysteria and she's suing them. And it's, you know, it's an official report. So it's not really going to go over well for her, I guess. 
Now they've uh, they've got Anderson and Grant coming back onto the scene, um, and they sift through all these files and they find uh, these these dimethyl sulfoxide compounds and stuff. Now Grant was a, a nuclear uh, chemist. I think it says. I think that's what his kind of background was. Okay. So he says um, his organic chemistry knowledge is um, minuscule, but Grant, <laughs> like, us. <laughs> like us, well, all of our chemistry is is minuscule, minuscule but, almost non-existent. <laughs> uh, so Grant mistook dimethyl sulfone for dimethyl sulfoxide or the DMSO. The D- the the dimethyl sulfone is the DMSO two. So. The only difference between the two chemicals is that the there's an extra oxygen. And so Grant was more familiar with it because he used it as a as an athlete. So and you have a lot of like college athletes at the time that were using this as like joint and muscle relief and stuff. And so he said, Hey, this is that chemical that we use as a folk remedy, basically. And that's why there was a spike in this. And there was a report that I found that in the autopsy, this is like 10 weeks after the death or whatever whenever they were doing these other autopsies that Ramirez had like three and a half times the, the regular level of DMSO in her system. But that's 10 weeks after she died. So if you, if you Mm. tested her the day of, she probably had way more like hundreds of times more of than the normal limit that you're supposed to have. So, um, and like I said, this this chemical had that kind of checkered past. Mm-hmm. So you're you're running into the problem where she's using it as a alternative medicine to to fight the cancer and her muscle and joint pain and stuff like that. So um, the problem is though that um, they uh, it had this huge underground following. So all of these people were like, "Well, yeah, we. I mean, you're going to use it because there's no other option for her." So. It's uh, it's not really limited to athletes, so people use it for all kinds of ailments here. Um, it's it's a dangerous kind of remedy because it's available in the the grease cutting form in a hardware store. So you yeah. can buy it as that jelly. I actually found pictures. I'll post it on the Instagram of you can buy it in a big jug, oh, <laughs> and it's no. a jelly, and it says I think it says on there like, hey, don't put this on your skin. I was about to say that. <laughs> so. Don't um, put the hardware solvent on your skin. Anyway, so so this is where they go into this this fact that hey, um, if if you shock this lady and she has this DMSO in her system or the DMSO two, you're gonna get the dimethyl sulfate, and yeah. so now they they finally have a chemical that could have caused the real damage there, and so they realized dimethyl sulfate was their best lead, and so they got these chemists, uh, Richard Whipple and Jeffrey Haas at uh, the, the uh, forensic center, they searched through thousands of papers that have been written about the compounds. And um, it said that uh, the Department of Defense uh, had a classified document issued in 1987, and it's called the Reference Book on Chemical Warfare Information, and had a 10-minute exposure uh, to half a gram of dimethyl sulfate dispersed in a cubic meter of air can kill a person. Oh, that's, that's bad. how little it takes. Yeah. So, um, dimethyl sulfate has been tested as a nerve gas, but 
um, apparently never been manufactured for use in a war yet. Oh, that's good so, that we have not done that. So good. Let's continue to not do that. Let's yeah. <laughs> let's continue. So they they came up with two scenarios basically for how this compound got here. Um, either Ramirez spread a cream on her skin that can ca- contained phenocyclidine, better known as PCP or angel dust, uh, dissolved in the DMSO carrier base. So it's a, like the way of taking the drug because it permeates right. your skin membrane a lot better. Um, according to an August report, the Riverside incident by Tam Smallstig, what a dumb name, <laughs> industrial <laughs> hygienist with California's Department of Industrial Real- Relations. The Riverside coroner's office had told the department without elaborating that Ramirez's body had indications consistent with phenocyclidine use. Uh, the scenario would explain the presence of uh, nicotinamide that Anderson had found in the Ramirez's blood and tissues and had been used uh, mixed with PCP to extend it. So they're using it to extend the high, basically. Um, same thing that they kind of said with meth is that you can use some of these chemicals to extend uh, the meth high. So if Ramirez had taken PCP, someone should have found traces of the drug itself and no one had. But again, this is like they're doing these autopsies like weeks after the death. So I don't know that that can really lead to it breaking down that much that it would be undetectable. But they're saying that that scenario is impossible, basically. So rather, the conclusion (laughs) is... The Livermore team thought the more likely event that Ramirez had rubbed DMSO on herself to relieve the pain from her cancer, and that would account for the oily sheen and the garlicky odor. Observed by the staff, Ramirez's family has since denied she was using DMSO or PCP before her death, but she did use a DMSO gel for her pain. It would have been far from unusual if she did. It's been estimated that two-thirds of cancer patients use some kind of unprescribed home remedy remedy for their diseases. So, that's the explanation. (laughs) That that is the full best explanation that I can find. They, she rubbed DMSO cream on herself. And you can actually still buy this as like a little, like it looks like a lotion little thing, yeah. like a little canister. And you just get it, rub it on your skin and they have it like aloe vera, like 70% DMSO, 30% aloe vera, like literally Man. marketed that way. You can buy it. Like, yeah. So I, I knew the very basics of this story, you know, that Goya Ramirez went to the hospital and then all the people that came in contact with her got sick. Did not know any of those details. And based on my minuscule knowledge of chemistry, I would, that seems the most probable to me that she, you know, put that on herself. And then there's a series of incredibly unfortunate events and like one in a million chances that it lined up to make that happen. Yeah. What is that what you think is sounds probable? Maybe if I knew more about chemistry, I'd be like, no, that wouldn't happen. I think it's the aliens. The aliens. The itty bitty ones. The blood. (laughs) So, yeah, so it's that's part of the the creep factor to it is that like some some of these chemicals can be used like they said in the those reports dual identity. Yeah. So you could have a B vitamin that they also use in cutting meth or you could have yeah. this DMSO that people are using as like a cure-all, this miracle drug for cancer treatment and pain relief, but 
hey, guess what? If you add oxygen to it and then you shock her, guess what? You make a chemical warfare agent. Yeah. So that's the biggest creep factor to me is just that like so many little normal things can combine to make something awful. That yeah. You never expect just out of pure chance. Yeah. Scary. And there's, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of like normal chemicals that you can find in, um, like just like your home under your sink, right? Ca- yeah, like I mean, cleaning, like cleaning products and stuff. And you it's mix just, them together and you can make like, you know, the same chemicals that they use to blow up, you know, for the, yeah. that ATF building in Oklahoma city bombing. Yeah. Remember that? So we're doing Awful. an episode on that. <laughs> Write that down. So Write that down. It's already written down. Or, yeah. That's just crazy that you just one day, a bunch of little things happen, line up perfectly to create something like that. Yeah. And it's, the the worst part about it is that I think typically that you would have this chain reaction of events that wouldn't lead to making a chemical warfare agent. Mm-hmm. This one happened to do that, do that. exact thing, yeah. evidently, and you have what twenty three people that got sick, and five of them had to stay in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And so you the it's it should note that. The family of Gloria Ramirez says that she didn't use this DMSO product, but right. if I mean if she did, then that explains everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and there's only two likely scenarios, like they said, was either she's using this stuff like everyone else does to relieve pain for the cancer, or she's using P- PCP. Right. So, so more likely, probably that she's not well, using PCP. But I don't know what the family wants, but and right. but also you would think that the family when they go like through her house or something, they yeah, would they find found it. that chemical and, and maybe they would just hide it. Cause they're ashamed of like, yeah, but what like, are people going to think if she's using this thing? But uh, I mean, I don't know. Like she yeah. was just sick. And right. I mean, if this is what happened, we don't know, but if that's what happened, she's just trying to relieve pain. That's yeah. very sad that it's, they would be ashamed of that or that it would lead to something like this. You just never know. It's also kind of funny that like one of these, like the new times, Los Angeles, which I'm assuming at this point is kind of like, I haven't looked into them. I guess they're like, maybe they're like a tabloid or something, but they said that there's a meth lab running under that hospital. What? And I should note, I read somewhere that that hospital doesn't even exist anymore. Like they tore it down and it's a Lowe's hardware store now. No way. Do they sell that product? I guarantee it. it. I bet Lowe's does. Yeah. Shout out Lowe's. So yeah. So that's, that's our episode today. I feel like crazy. If anyone made it, to the end through all of <laughs> my butcherings of the pronunciation and our butcher of chemistry itself. Yeah. Shout out that one chemist. I thought I could come up with the name really quick. I was about to say <laughs> Mose, but that's the hardness scale guy. Oh my gosh. So. Maybe we should add in like uh skip ahead to this minute to, to bypass all the mispronunciations of these chemical names. No, I'm going to make you suffer through it. Like I did. <laughs> You got to. Oh my so, gosh. Well, I think you did a great job. Good first episode. That is definitely first episode. a creepy story. It's a Shane episode. Starting strong. Yeah. Yep. Next time. Start, we'll be... Starting pretty weak, honestly. <laughs> Let's be real. This is, this is the hardest thing to read because whenever I, like as I'm going through, I'm like copying and pasting like certain little blurbs from each website yeah, yeah, and yeah. trying to go through. And all of them are a different, smaller, increasingly <laughs> smaller font. So by the end, I'm like, I don't know what that says. That's hilarious. So... But anyway, next, uh, two weeks from now, right? Maybe. We'll we're, see how it goes. We're doing a yeah. hand episode. Hand episode. I will be leading. I'm bringing you an Appalachian story from our home state of West yeah. Virginia. I'm doing the Greenbrier Ghost. 
Don't Bart look goes, that up. I want to surprise you. <laughs> don't look it up. <laughs> don't no. look that up. That's um, wait for me to tell you the story. It's a good one. Ghosts are pretty spook though. Uh, I don't like yeah. ghosts, especially like women and small children ghosts. I don't like them. Yeah. They're, they seem scarier than men ghosts. I do want to say like whether you, no matter what your beliefs on ghosts are, it's just a really interesting story anyway. So don't is, focus too yeah. much on the ghost part. It's just an interesting story. So anyway, um, if you like the show, feel free to leave us a five-star review. Maybe this episode deserves four star for the pronunciation. <laughs> one, minus one star for pronunciation. <laughs> if there's any topics that you want us to cover in the future, um, we have a big Google Doc that we've been writing everything on. Just send us a message on our Facebook or Instagram or something and let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll add it to the list. Um, yeah, we'll add it to the list. We'll get to it eventually. We don't. <laughs> it's not really going in order. I think we're just picking kind of randomly. Yeah, but, we'll just erase it as we um, do it. <laughs> But anyway, follow us on our Instagram and our Facebook page at Country Roads Creeps. Send us a message there if there's anything that uh, you want to make note of or anything that you want us to cover in the future. And... Do you have some advice for our listeners? Nope. Yeah, you I do. sure do. <laughs> I sure <laughs> do. <laughs> we, it's a lesson that we are learned the hard way, maybe. Yeah, learn <laughs> study chemistry. <laughs> That's not what I was thinking. Study, study, read books, please. <laughs> Do research before you host a podcast. <laughs> I researched. I did yeah, not research did. How the, to say the words. how to say the words. Yeah. I need like Siri to come up as like a button. That's like, <laughs> how, I'm just going to push. You can do that. Press highlight and speak. Yeah. So I need to anyway, set that one up for any of the hard words. Now. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for today, I think. Yep. I don't think we have anything else Probably. to share. So, anyway, be safe driving home. Watch out for the not deer. Bye. Bye. <laughs>